Mark 8:11 through 25. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, "Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it." Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, "Is it because we have no bread?" Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, "Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened?" Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for 4000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, "Do you still not understand?" They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, "Do you see anything?" He looked up and said, "I see people. They look like trees walking around." Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, "Don't go into the village." Thanks. Good morning. Years ago, my dad decided to go deep sea fishing. So he drove by himself, he got there and was part of a charter with five or six other fishermen that had rented this and they were out in the deep ocean. And as they were fishing, my dad was reaching over to deal with his tackle and he was playing with something and his face got bumped and his glasses fell into the ocean. Now my dad was blinder than me. And I've been told I have 2200 vision without my contacts, which means that what you can see if you have 20/20 division at 200 feet i need the needed to be 20 feet away to see at the same clarity i'm pretty blind and he's worse so imagine him there this was years ago it wasn't during the time of one hour glasses right <laughs> he's nine hour drive from home all alone on a boat in the middle of the ocean and he's wondering how in the world am i going to function how in the world am i going to get home what am i going to do being so blind well it's interesting because god chose in his own way to heal my dad's blindness a few minutes later as my dad was stewing over this and wondering what to do someone who was bringing their line in someone else on the boat said hey there's something caught on my line Balanced perfectly on the nose piece were his glasses in the middle of the ocean that had slid down and caught on a weight and they managed to reach down and save them before they tumbled into the ocean and were lost forever. 
I've had times where I've had a problem. That's a true story, by the way. That really happened. I've had times where I've had problems with my contacts and I haven't been able to see, and it's very disturbing. You can't see well. It's frustrating. But imagine being blind, I mean fully blind, where you can't see anything. Your world is severely limited. When you're blind, you stumble around. You you can't see what's around you, so you've got to try to feel your way through life, and life is confusing and difficult as you try to get around. Most of us have had times of that where maybe... Uh, it's we're in the pitch dark and we can't find the light switch and we're stumbling into things. We we get a taste of that. But being blind is difficult. Our passage today, Jesus heals a blind man. It's a miraculous healing, amazing healing. It was life changing for that man. But I really believe the whole intent of this passage really has to do not with physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and us a deeper lesson about spiritual blindness, which can cause us to stumble around in our Christian lives, to bump into things, to be confused instead of living all out for the kingdom of God. Pray with me. Lord, as we look at this passage together, it's clear that all of us in this room have a certain amount of spiritual blindness. We need our eyes opened. Your word is a mighty tool, a sword of the spirit that can be used to penetrate to the very depths of our souls and begin to bring light into the darkness. May your word accomplish that today in us. In Jesus name. Amen. So in this passage, we're going to look first at those who refuse to see. And those, then we'll look at those who are slow to see. By the way, those are the only two categories. (laughs) Those who refuse to see and those who are slow to see. And then we'll look at the pathway to being able to see more fully. First, those who refuse to see. The passage begins by saying, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. We see right away that the Pharisees are coming to him, but not to have their eyes opened, (laughs) not to see reality. Why are they coming? Their motives are bad. Their motives are, we are looking for a kink in your armor, Jesus. We're looking for some fault, some way that we can dismiss you as a prophet of God. We want to write you off, discredit you so we can dismiss you before the people. So they asked for a sign from heaven. Now, this seems a little confusing to me because Jesus has been ministering in this area, north shore of the Sea of Galilee, for quite some time, and he has done many miracles. These are the Pharisees in the synagogue at Capernaum. As we've seen so far in the book of Mark, Jesus did two miracles at least right in the synagogue. He cast out a demon possessed man. He cast the demon out. And he healed a withered hand of a man in the synagogue. But it also says he did many other miracles in this whole area. These Pharisees had seen Jesus do miracles. Now, why in the world are they asking for a sign? What are they looking for? (laughs) You know, really, to be honest, I don't think they're looking for anything. They've already had the opportunity to see who Jesus really is through his miracles. But see... Nothing can 
can convince a heart that refuses to see. It doesn't matter how evident God makes himself right in front of your face. Nothing can convince a heart that refuses to see. You cannot help someone see the truth who refuses to see, who will not see. Pharisees probably would have said, we're committed to truth. But they weren't. They were committed to their own blindness. That's why Jesus, who came to save the Jews and the Gentiles, sighs a deep sigh. The word that's used for that describes a a deep anguish of spirit, a deep anguish of heart. It's the only place this is used, this word in the Greek, is used in the New Testament. He's in anguish over the blindness of the Pharisees who refused to have their eyes open to the reality of truth. And so he says something interesting that doesn't come across in the English translations. It isn't that he says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Literally, it's truly I say to you, if a sign will be given to this generation, and he never finishes the thought. But we know the end of it, right? Even if a sign is given, they won't see it. Now, in the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says there, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. What's the sign of Jonah, the prophet? I think there's two aspects to it. One, remember, Jonah went and preached against his will, but he preached to the city of Nineveh, a Gentile enemy city to the Jews, and they repented. A sign of Messiah coming is that the Gentiles are being converted, and Jesus has been reaching out to Gentiles so far in his ministry in many ways. The second sign of Jonah, Jesus says, is as Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale, so the Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth. Jesus' death and resurrection. But we know that the Pharisees, the Jews, missed it. They didn't get it, even when that sign was given to them when Jesus rose from the dead. Even those things don't change the mind of someone who refuses to see. So the exhortation for you and I in this room this morning is don't be a skeptic. Don't come to Jesus with a you better prove yourself to me attitude. Because if so, you will not see the truth. It's impossible. You've got to come with an open heart and open mind looking for who he really is. Open your heart to the scriptures and let Jesus help you see reality. Because what What does Jesus do to these Jews at the end? It says he left them to themselves. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left to myself. I want to know him. I want to see him. I want my eyes to be opened. But there are those who refuse to see. But now we go on to the next section, 14 through 21, and we see those who are slow to see. Now, in verses 14 through 16, Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see some spiritual truth here. Let me read that again, because it's just it's kind of comical, their blindness here, isn't it? Now, they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Now, in in the Greek, it's really emphatic. He says it. He kept commanding them, look out. Watch out. He uses two words about seeing. Keep your eyes peeled for the leaven of the Pharisees 
and the leaven of Herod. And how do they respond to his words? Oh, he's mad because we didn't bring enough bread. You know, a proper response would have been, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean, leaven? But, but they're just concerned that he's upset about the fact that they didn't bring enough bread. <laughs> you see, they're so nearsighted, <laughs> 2200 vision or worse, all they can see is what's right before them. Gee, I think Jesus must be upset about bread. He mentioned leaven. Huh. They can't see what Jesus is trying to teach them. They lack imagination. They lack faith. The faith, the imagination to see what God is trying to teach them through the reality of life. This physical picture that Jesus is painting for them. They're too caught up in seeing is believing. You know, that's kind of a mantra of our age, right? Scientific, modernistic world, right? Seeing is believing. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe anything I can't personally verify through my senses. That really limits us, doesn't it? There's so much more reality that we in our finite little place here cannot see, but we limit ourselves, but we tend to do that. Now, some would say, well, the postmodern world, they're not that way. They don't think that way. Well, you know what their mantra is, is experience is believing. So whatever I experience, you know, that's, that's really the measure. It's really not a lot different. It's just whatever I experience is truth and nothing else outside of that will I accept as truth. That's part of our postmodern world. Very similar to the disciples here. <laughs> We're spiritually blind when we focus only on those things which our senses can perceive. Instead of hearing the words of Jesus and seeing what he's trying to communicate to us, as he shows us his invisible kingdom all around us, it's there, but we can't see it except through faith, right? Through imagination, through opening our minds to the truth of what God is telling us. And when we don't use our imaginations to live in the reality of the kingdom of God, we're blind. We're spiritually blind to what God is doing. So what specifically is Jesus warning them about when he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? He's passionate about it, right? As I've said, well, he doesn't tell us here. He doesn't explain it to us, but just knowing what they believed and what they taught. Let me give you a couple of thoughts of what I think the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod is. I think the leaven of the Pharisees can be summarized in a short phrase. God is manageable. God is manageable. If I just keep the rules and do certain rituals, then God is obligated to give me what I want in life. In the book, The Divine Commodity, Sky Jathani says this in describing this. Jesus was highlighting a central flaw of the Pharisees' worldview. Their insistence on religious precision left no room for mystery. The Pharisaical view said God worked in a definitive and knowable manner that his response to every human condition or action was predictable and therefore controllable. For example, according to the Pharisees, wealth was a blessing from God bestowed upon the righteous. Conversely, those in poverty or illness were clearly guilty of sin. 
Therefore, blessings could be assured through proper self-management and adherence to the laws of God. They sought to control and, and contain God with their strict adherence to the religious laws. Sacrifice A, prayer B, abstain from C, and God will bless you with D. <laughs> Outcomes were guaranteed. They made God akin to a divine gumball machine. <laughs> you put in the right coins, you've got to make sure you figure out what the coins are, that got what God wants, but if you put in the right coins, you're guaranteed of the right outcome. God is manageable. This leaven, I think, is so dangerous because it makes us focus on our behavior rather than focus on the glory of God. It's all about me managing God by doing the right thing, and it's about my somehow following the right rules to get what I want instead of focusing on the awesomeness of God. You may say, well, you know, I don't fall into that. I think all of us do. I think we've been leavened in our world to, to fall into this God is manageable thinking. Think about it for a minute. When something bad happens in your life, isn't it natural to think, what did I do wrong? What, what is God punishing me for? Or, gee, what, you know, what am I doing wrong that I need to fix so I can have good things happen in my life? Isn't that natural for us? Or when we want something good to happen, don't we try especially hard to be good? <laughs> to get on God's good side somehow? It's so natural for us to fall into the leaven of the Pharisees. Makes us feel in control, makes God working explainable. But it leads us to spiritual blindness because we are not looking at the hand of God and what he is doing in our lives. So Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and watch out for the leaven of Herod. What is the leaven of Herod? Well, I would define it this way. Human power is what gets things done. Human power is what gets things done for God. The Herodians were looking for political power. They were in alliance with the Romans. They were trying to get political power to accomplish the purposes of God. And we may think, well, we don't really do that. Well, the church has fallen into this over and over again throughout history. The Crusades are an example where they said, you know, the infidels, the Muslims have taken Jerusalem. We need to take it back. So they got these armies over and over again and tried to go and kill all the infidels so they could win Jerusalem back. It was a disaster. John Calvin in Geneva. John Calvin, tremendously godly man, but decided in Geneva he wanted to create a true Christian community. So they made laws that everybody had to conform completely to Christian living. It didn't go over well. It didn't work. Human power is not what gets things done. A few years back, the moral majority, they lived by the leaven of Herod because they were thinking, if we can just influence our culture through political power and change our laws and you know, make sure that we force people to live morally through laws, we'll be accomplishing the purposes of God. That's the leaven of Herod brothers and sisters, and it didn't work. These leavens are destructive to faith and they leave us blind because we're not seeing how God is actually working in us and around us to build the kingdom of God. So the disciples aren't getting it. They're only looking at the things of the world that they can see. And let me just say, you know, I have a concern for 
us as believers, I think there's a spiritual blindness that's rampant in our culture of Christianity. And that is that we've been so taught to believe everything that scientists tell us that we put that above the scriptures too often. It's created a spiritual blindness, I believe. Because we simply accept everything science tells us as true without really exploring the fact that most scientists have an anti-view worldview, anti-God worldview, (laughs) that taints their conclusions and blinds them to reality. As believers, we need to start with the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures say? And then interpret what science says in the light of scriptural truth. I think many believers are blind because we don't see the hand of God nearly as much because we put science above the kingdom of God in our thinking. So how does Jesus deal with their spiritual blindness? These disciples who aren't getting it, who are just concerned about bread. He asked them a series of questions in the text. It's six questions, and he also quotes the Old Testament. Now imagine what it would have been like to be there. You're holding this one loaf of bread, and you're saying, gee, he's upset. And he starts asking these questions. Are you, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Are you heart of heart? Don't you remember feeding of the 5,000? How many baskets you held in your hand? Of leftovers. And when he fed the 4,000, how many baskets did you hold? I I can see the disciples standing there just kind of shuffling their feet, feeling scolded, and just kind of like, can't wait till this is over. (laughs) Is he done yet? I don't know. But the questions, see, are meant to awaken their imagination, awaken their faith, to help them see that they are spiritually blind. And he's saying, look, look at what you've seen me do and take time to look at the spiritual implications of that. Begin to look differently at what what is happening in your world and what your experience is and begin to see the hand of God in the midst of it. One of the things I did with my dad was go hunting at age 12. I looked forward to when I finally turned 12 and could get my hunting license and go hunting with him. And he had to teach me how to hunt because as, as you hunt, you have to look differently at the world than when you're just hiking, when you're just walking. You see, you have to look for the signs of game. You have to look for droppings. You have to look for tracks. You look for hair maybe that's on a branch, and you listen carefully. You might walk the very same ground you walked another time hiking, but you are looking completely differently as you're walking. You see, Jesus wants to open our eyes so we look differently as we're walking through life and we begin to look for the signs that God is at work all around us. In fact, the movie Signs, which came out a number of years ago with Mel Gibson in it, Mel Gibson was an Episcopal priest. And in the movie, he's lost his faith because his wife died in a tragic accident. He's left with two children, his brother living with him and And he's really struggling. There's health issues. There's mental issues. It's just a difficult life. And he's so angry at God. At one point, he says, I hate you to God. But throughout the movie, you begin to see where his eyes are beginning to be opened to things God is doing through the difficulties of life. That God's hand is at work. And in the end, as he sees how even the difficult things of life were used of God for his good. 
his faith is restored. And he returns to the ministry. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s in England, said this, Chance is banished from the faith of Christians, for they see the hand of God in everything. The trivial events of today or tomorrow may involve consequences of the highest importance. God's at work in everything, even the little things of life, if we only have eyes to see. So spiritual insight comes as we use our minds and our imaginations to meditate on what God is doing, to look for his hand, to make the connections between what's going on in our lives and how God is working in the midst of those. Chance is not an option for a Christian. As we begin to look and see how God is working and we see the deeper implications of what he's doing, our eyes are open to the greatness of God and what it means to trust him. But it takes listening to him, looking for his hand and meditating on his word so that your eyes begin to be opened. In 2000, when I had a heart attack, I realized I need to deal with stress better. (laughs) But you know what? God began to open my eyes as I was laid up for a month. He began to open my eyes to deeper spiritual reality. What he was really saying to me was, you know what? You have a heart issue. And it's not physical, it's spiritual. (laughs) And your heart issue is that you have a critical spirit that's affecting your heart. As I realized I was critical to some other people that had hung on to some resentment and hadn't let it go, and God began to show me the depths of that. Nothing is by chance. The people you run into in the store, the phone calls you get, when somebody is brought to your mind, God is in that. So see the hand of God begin to work in all the little things of life. Have your eyes opened. That's what Jesus is trying to do to the disciples so their eyes could be opened to the reality of his kingdom all around them if they would only see. So how do we get to see? What's the path to seeing? Well, I think we see that through this miracle that Jesus does in healing the blind man. Interesting, as you read through it, you see that they came to this town of Bethsaida. Some people brought this blind man to him. And what does Jesus do? He takes the man's hand and leads him out of the town. Interesting. And then what does he do? Spits in his eye. (laughs) Spits in his eye. And then touches him. And then he says, what do you see? He says, well... I see, I see men as trees walking. They're really blurry, but I think they're people, but, you know, they look like trees. I just can't see very well. It's a partial healing. Only time it ever happens in Scripture where there's like a two-stage healing. It's crazy. <laughs> What's going on here? They have 2,200 visions so far, this man does. Then he lays hands on him again, and it says, Then... Then he saw all things clearly. So what is Jesus trying to teach the disciples and us through this interesting, different kind of healing he does? Well, let me just highlight some thoughts here. One is, I think we need Jesus to lead us out of the village if we're going to have our eyes really opened. We're surrounded by a culture that 
It's full of lies. It's telling us lies. It's blind spiritually. And as long as we're listening to our culture and we're immersed in it, in the entertainment industry of our world and all the things that their world is throwing at us, we can't hear Jesus. We've got to slow down. We've got to find solitude. We've got to come out of the village. So Jesus leads him out of the village. I like the quote of Mark Twain. Those who do not read the news are uninformed. Those that do are misinformed. (laughs) That's the world we live in, right? And notice in this healing, Jesus has to spit in his eye and touch him. He meets this blind man right in his world where he can't see Jesus, but he physically does a lot to hold him, to pull, to touch him, to spit in his eye, to to meet him right where he is so he can connect with what Jesus is doing and know it's really from him. We must come to Jesus and let him touch our lives. Only he can open our eyes to reality. It's not us figuring it all out brothers and sisters. I know too many brilliant Christians who have depended too much on their ability to try to rational, rationally figure out the Christian life and who God is and all that, and they end up in heresy or in arrogance and pride. In other words, spiritual blindness. We need to come with a submissive heart and say, Jesus, I need you to touch me. Open my eyes. I am blind. I don't get it. And continue to cling to him and let him touch us. And the final point I want to make from this healing is that it's a process, which means we're each spiritually blind and and need to realize we have a long ways to go. The disciples, later in this chapter, they declared Jesus to be the Messiah. That's awesome. Their eyes have been opened a little bit. After the resurrection, their eyes are opened even more. But we see through the book of Acts, they still don't get it. They're still having a hard time accepting Gentiles into the kingdom of God, and there's so much to learn. We all are spiritually blind, and we need to have a humility about that and realize we desperately need the body of Christ. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Word of God to open our eyes so we can see who God is more clearly. You and I see men as trees walking at best, (laughs) at best. In fact, you all look pretty blurry to me this morning. (laughs) Jesus is deeply concerned that the disciples learn to put off their spiritual blindness and see him for who he really is and see how the hand of God is working all around them in their world. And the same is true for us. May we take the time to come to Jesus to let him touch us, to lead us out of the village. And may we learn to look for those signs of God that is at work. He's at work all around us, building his kingdom through us, in us, around us. Our mantra should not be seeing is believing, but our mantra should be believing is seeing. As I come to him in faith, my eyes begin to be opened so I can see the reality of the kingdom of God all around us. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are blind. We do not see reality. We don't see you clearly, but we need to. Lord, remove the blinders from our eyes, the things, whether it's the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod or our own arrogance or whatever it might be that's keeping us
from seeing you as you really are. And may, Lord, we come to you and may you touch our eyes. That our eyes may be opened. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.